This is the Boyfriend's Guide to Pop Culture, the podcast where the boyfriend, Nick, guides the girlfriend, Meg, through the world of pop culture. Years ago, you served my father in the Clone Wars. Now he begs you to help him in his struggle against the Empire. I regret that I am unable to present my father's request to you in person, but my ship has fallen under attack, and I'm afraid my mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed. I have placed information vital to the survival of the Rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. My father will know how to retrieve it. You must see this droid safely delivered to him on Alderaan. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. This is the boyfriend's guide to pop culture. I am the boyfriend, Nick. And I'm the girlfriend, Meg. And we've got a real humdinger of a of a, a podcast for you, an episode for you, if you will. That's right. What are we covering today? Well, uh, before I get into that, I wanted to ask you a couple questions. Okay. Uh, what happens when you take the Flash Gordon serials of the 1940s? Akira Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress, the mythological hero's journey from Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces, 16 parallel elements from Frank Herbert's Dune, the destruction of the heavy water plant from the Dam Busters, reworked footage from World War II dogfights, along with not only samurai, but Nazi Germany imagery. Well, since I'm not familiar with any of that, I have no idea, but I'm gonna guess, considering what we're talking about today... It's Star Wars? Yes, that's right. Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, where everything all begins. All right. So, it's just the first episode of Star Wars, not... What about the, the whole Star Wars? Not Episode One. Chronologically, it's a, whole, it's a whole thing to get into. But the first movies that came out in the 70s and 80s are Episodes Four, Five, and Six. Okay. And then the episodes that came out in the 90s and the 2000s are episodes 1, 2, and 3, which is basically the backstory of what... Uh, Happens in the, in the middle of the first ones that we watch, yes. right? Okay. All right. So, <clears throat> let's talk about it. But before we get into the, all that stuff, we have our, our drink of the episode. Oh, of course. Yes. A nice little fancy drink that I made, and it's definitely pungent. You can definitely smell the alcohol on it. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, so it's a strong one. So what are we drinking t- today? Today we have a cocktail called the Death Star. How appropriate. How appropriate. I more or less would have called it the Curaçao iced tea, like a Long Island iced tea, but like a, a long Curaçao iced tea. Oh, okay. Well... Um, what's what else is special about the drink that we're enjoying today? Oh, inside of it, our ice, our ice cubes. We have uh, little Death Star ice balls. Yes, Death Star ice balls, um, and this is the first drink that I am enjoying with the Death Star ice ball. Even though we had them for a little bit now. Yeah, I've had plenty of drinks with them. Plenty of plenty of drinks with them, but. Uh, yeah, it was a nice birthday present that you gave me. I wish I would have known that you were going to give them for me for my birthday because I I did buy one of my own. 
Well, you know, there's supposed to be a surprise, and I did tell you, don't buy yourself stuff don't around buy, your birthday. Don't buy presents for yourself around the birthday. The only plus side is the ones that you gave me are actually good. The one I bought is total crap. Well, but I still use it. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad that uh, you still are enjoying it, so that's all that matters. Well, we'll get into uh, what's in the strength. This was brought to you from liquor.com. Uh, what is inside our Death Star cocktail? Well, we have one ounce of Jägermeister, one ounce of Gentleman Jack Tennessee Whiskey, one ounce of Grey Goose Vodka, one ounce of Triple Sec, two ounces of Sour Mix, and two ounces of Coke. So what you want to do is you want to add all those ingredients into a Collins glass over your Death Star ice ball. Not just any ice will do. Gotcha. I okay. think the Death Star ice ball is definitely what adds the flavor to it or, you know, that je ne sais quoi, that I don't know what to it. But it gotcha. definitely adds that mystical element to the drink. For sure. Makes you, it more fun. Yeah. You stir them all together, put a straw in there, and drink and have a good time. All right. So shall we try our drink? Yes. All right. Here goes. Bounds up. Yeah, you definitely get some of the some of that uh, some of that Long Island taste. I don't know. I've never drank a Long Island iced tea, but really, I, <laughs> I'm surprised by that. Yeah, um, it's it's good. Not yeah. n- not. I won't. I will. I'll be honest. It's not exactly my cup of tea, but um, it's not bad. No, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. From less than the ingredients, it's definitely strong. It's very strong. Yes, I, I I went off of what what they put. I probably could cut all the ingredients in half, but. Mm. Yes. Or maybe well, add more sour mix and more soda to it, but I only had so much room in the Collins glass, so. Yeah, I hear you. Anyway, what we are discussing today, as we said, is Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Yes. Uh, it's brought to you by 20th Century Fox, written and directed by George Lucas. It stars Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Peter Cushing, Sir Alec Guinness, David Prowse, Peter Mayhew, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, and James Earl Jones as the voice of our big baddie, Darth Vader. Okay. So how does the movie, how do we start out? Well, we're going to give you a basic rundown of everything, and I'll get into the specifics and all that stuff right now. Okay. Yeah, give us a rundown. Um, We should probably note, we are trying something a little different this episode and for the next um, episode of my podcast. Uh, the Girlfriend's Guide to True Crime. Uh, last time we watched the movie together right before we did our podcast. And I have seen this movie before, but yes. I haven't seen it all that recently or nearly as frequently as Nick. I think the last time we saw it was actually, I think, the tail end of it, like two weekends ago. Yes, yes. Um, and I, you know, I'm not, obviously, this is, he's guiding me through pop culture. So, uh, we're going to try this out where I'll be asking more questions and, and we'll see how it goes. And hopefully we we'll get some listener feedback of what might work better and what sounds better. What is more interesting? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's start. Come on. Uh, this is brought to you. This is basically a plot rundown brought to you from wikipedia.com. I know this movie backwards and forwards, but I thought I would just uh, give it to the experts right here. So... Amid a galactic civil war, Rebel Alliance spies have stolen plans to the Galactic Empire's Death Star, a massive space station capable of destroying, destroying an entire planet. Imperial Senator Princess Leia of Alderaan, secretly one of the Rebellion's leaders, has obtained its schematics, 
but her store ship is intercepted by an Imperial Star Destroyer under the command of the ruthless Darth Vader. Before she's captured, Leia hides the plans in the memory of astromech droid R2-D2, who flees in an escape pod to the desert planet Tatooine, accompanied by protocol droid C-3PL. The droids are captured by Jawa traders who sell them to moisture farmers Owen and Baru Lars and their nephew, Luke Skywalker. While cleaning R2-D2, Luke accidentally triggers part of a holographic recording of Leia in which she requests help from Obi-Wan Kenobi. Later, after Luke finds R2-D2 missing, he's attacked by scavenging sand people, also known as the Tusken Raiders, while searching for him, but is rescued by elderly hermit Old Ben Kenobi, an acquaintance of Luke's who reveals that Obi-Wan is his true name. Obi-Wan tells Luke of his days as one of the Jedi Knights, the former peacekeepers of the Galactic Re- Republic, who drew mystical abilities from a mes- metaphysical energy field known as the Force. But we were ultimately hunted to near its de- extinction by the Empire. Luke learns that his father fought alongside Obi-Wan as a Jedi Knight during the Clone Wars until Vader, Obi-Wan's former pupil, turned to the dark side of the Force and murdered him. Obi-Wan presents Luke with his father's old lightsaber, the signature weapon of Jedi Knights. R2-D2 plays Leia's full message in which she begs Obi-Wan to take the Death Star plans to her home planet of Alderaan and give them to her father, a fellow veteran, for analysis. Although Luke initially declines Obi-Wan's offer to accompany him to Alderaan and learn the ways of the Force, he is left with no choice after discovering that Imperial Stormtroopers have killed his aunt and uncle and destroyed their farm in their search for the droids. Traveling to a cantina in Mos Eisley to search for transport, Luke and Obi-Wan hire Han Solo, a smuggler with a price on his head due to his debt to a local mobster, Jabba the Hutt. Pursued by stormtroopers, Obi-Wan, Luke, R2-D2, and C-3PO flee Tatooine with Han and his Wookiee co-pilot, Chewbacca, on their ship, the Millennium Falcon. As As they reach the planet's orbit, two star destroyers try to intercept them, but Han is able to jump the hyperspace by reaching light speed. Before the Falcon can reach Alderaan, Death's, the Death Star commander, Grand Moff Tarkin, interrogates Leia about the location of the Rebels' secret base with the threat of destroying her home planet, and when she answers that the base is on Dantooine, he orders Alderaan destroyed simply as a show of force. As the group arrives in the asteroid field that now stands in place of Alderaan, Han spots an Imperial TIE fighter and is taunted into chasing it and shooting it down, allowing the Falcon to be captured by the space station's tractor beam. Inside the Death Star, Obi-Wan attempts to disable the tractor beam, and Luke persuades Han and Chewie to help him rescue Leia after discovering that she is scheduled to be executed. After disabling the tractor beam, Obi-Wan sacrifices his life in a lightsaber duel with Vader, allowing the rest of the group to escape the Death Star with Leia. Using a tracking device, the Empire tracks the Falcon to the hidden rebel base located on Yavin 4. Leia's schematics reveal a hidden weakness in the Death Star's thermal exhaust port, which could allow the Rebels to trigger a chain reaction in its main reactor with a precise torpedo strike. While Han abandons the Rebels after collecting his reward for rescuing Leia, Luke joins their starfighter squadron in a desperate attack against the approaching Death Star. In the ensuing battle, the Rebels suffer heavy losses as Vader leads a squadron of TIE fighters against them. But Han unexpectedly returns to aid them in the Falcon, narrowly managing to save Luke before Vader can shoot him down. 
Guided by the disembodied voice of Obi-Wan's spirit, Luke turns off his targeting computer and uses the Force to guide his torpedoes into the exhaust port, destroying the Death Star moments before it fires on the Rebel base. In a triumphant ceremony at the base, Leia awards Luke and Han medals for their freedom, for their heroism. Sorry. So, yeah, that's a basic rundown of the entire plot there. There's a lot of questions. Yes. There's lots of words in there. (laughs) Lots of names, lots of places, lots of what have you that I don't think that you would have to ask about. Yes. Sorry. Well, maybe we can go over a few of them and then get into our discussion. Sure thing. Okay. So, first of all, what is a Wookiee? A Wookiee is Wookiee is a race of creatures from the planet Kashyyyk. Okay, they're basically hairy, like nine really foot tall. Nine foot tall. Basically, I don't want to call them dogs, but they're they're like friendly. They're not friendly like dogs, but they're kind of like not even. Pe- they're good friends. Okay, but they're in more, far more intelligent. Yes. Yes, and so, um, and anything else about their species or their planet that we should know about? Um, they live in trees. I know that much. Uh, I'd probably have a further, more, more further discussion if we discussed uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith because that that's episode three before this one where they have a battle on the planet of Kashyyyk. Well, I'm sure we'll be discussing it more in the future. <laughs> well, an interesting, like a uh, like uh, a trivia, fun fact about that: uh, the character of Chewbacca was uh, based off. George Lucas's uh, Malamute dog. <laughs> Do you know what the name of that dog was? No. Indiana. Oh. Which would come into further play in another uh, film series, which we won't get into, but I think you can draw the parallels yeah, there. There's a, a certain actor that's associated with this movie on that one. We called the dog Indiana. <laughs> the dog? <laughs> Anything else you want to ask? Um, there's a lot of things. Okay. Okay. So, um, you discuss Princess Leia's home planet of Alderaan. What yes. do we need to know about Alderaan? Alderaan, um, you don't really need to know anything about the planet, but, you, but uh, two of its most, probably two of the the, the uh, inhabitants, the most important inhabitants, are Princess Leia her, herself and Princess Leia's father, Bail Organa. Uh, like I said, he's not in this one, but he is... Uh, in the prequels, he is basically the guy who who's like a guiding fo- guiding force of the Rebel Alliance. Okay, okay. Um, what else should we know about the Rebel Alliance? Any information? I mean, obviously, they're a Rebel Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there any background there that you can shed some light on them? Basically, they were they were formed after the the creation of the Empire as kind of an opposing force to the, the stranglehold that they, they go, the, the emperor and the empire would have on the entire galaxy. Uh, from about episode three to episode four, they, not really the rebel alliance, but the Senate has kind of held the, the empire at bay so that the, the, the emperor can't have his schemes fully you know, realized. And the, the, the rebel alliance plays... A part in that, they're kind of sort of like the underground. They're like the French underground, like during World War II. Like, let's say the galaxy is Nazi-occupied France, and uh, 
of course, the empire would be Nazi Germany, and the French underground would be the rebels. They're doing everything in their part to undermine the machinations of the emperor and the empire. More importantly, like during that, the whole, during the 20 years in between episode three and episode four, uh, the emperor and the empire are trying to build their ultimate weapon, the Death Star, which would have taken about five years to build, maybe less than five years, because you can see that in Return of the Jedi when they built their second Death Star, it's like almost automatic, like within three years. To build the Death Star, it would have taken them about five years, but they come into, you know, multiple uh, uh, Senate hangups and people asking questions about that. So it, it ultimately takes them 20 years. Okay. Ooh, okay. So we <laughs> I know it's a lot to unpack. <laughs> we, um, okay. We, we briefly meet Luke Skywalker's um, aunt and uncle, correct? Yes. Who passed away. Um, is there anything about them? I mean, I know it's a brief, and maybe there's more about them in other movies. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. You first you first meet them in episode two, Attack of the Clones. Okay. And uh, basically what happens is Anakin Skywalker, who is Luke Skywalker's father, he was, he was a slave on Tatooine, and he had to leave his mother behind to become a Jedi. Uh, his mother was a slave who was brought initially by uh, the Lars family, but then uh, uh, the father of Owen Lars, I forget his name, he married her. He, he released her from slavery, and he married her. So they're, Anakin Skywalker and Owen Lars are, are, are kind of sort of like stepbrothers okay. through birth and stuff like that. Okay, so it's not like his biological... It's not his biological uncle, but he, he, he knows of his his stepbrother and he's he's kind of sort of no fan of the empire and stuff but he's definitely not a fan of his his uh of luke's father's exploits and stuff he, you know going well, off sure. on no adventures and stuff like that he wants to keep luke safe sure um, on yeah. tattooing yes and that's where the the beginning of this whole movie starts is at is on tattooing yeah um where he you know we meet Luke Skywalker and his aunt uncle, and then did these droids show up. So why don't we learn a little more about droids? Yeah. Droids are, are basically, they serve different functions in the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, the, the two main droids, R2 and C-3PO. Uh, R2 is an astromech droid. He kind of, he served on, on uh, starships as like the navigator and stuff like that. When we see later in the film, he's put into an X-Wing. He, he, you know, he's basically like a, a Navi computer. Or if there's any problems while they're in flight, he can fix it while he, they're in flight. I think that's kind of why he becomes, you know, I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but Luke Skywalker's little buddy, sort yeah. of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and 3PO is a protocol droid. Basically, the role of protocol droids are to... They're basically translators. As 3PO says himself, he's fluent in over 6 million forms of communication. What are your opinions on him? He's kind of a press. <laughs> you know? Yes. He's definitely kind of a press. He's, I wouldn't say he's annoying because he definitely serves his purpose, but he's, he's a scaredy cat. He doesn't want to do this thing and the other stuff like that. What do you think of his relationship with R2-D2? 
Meaning what? <laughs> no, I, I'm not meaning anything. I think that they're kind of funny together. It's almost yeah. like a little comedy duo. Yeah, it's a comedy duo. Yeah. Uh, the way that, you know, I, it's it's an interesting to see how They play off develops. each other. Definitely, yeah. you, definitely R2 is the one who likes to get, you know, likes to get into the mischief. And yeah. 3PO is kind of sort of dragged along into that stuff unwillingly. He's always lecturing him. Yeah. <laughs> and r just making little noises. An interesting um, uh, fun fact about that, the two droids are, are as I said before in the beginning, uh, the two droids are actually based off of uh, Akira Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress. Uh, and who is that and what does all that, that mean? Well, uh, like I said, George Lucas was influenced he was greatly influenced by uh, Kurosawa's filming style Kurosawa was a Japanese film director who made films like The Seven Samurai Yojimbo and The Hidden Fortress if you watch The Hidden Fortress it's kind of sort of like almost not I would I would not say shot by shot remake shot by shot thing that Star Wars copied off of it but the elements in there are 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 you can definitely see it especially with uh two of the the peasants in here uh tahi and matt matasichi there are two peasants trying to escape the war and basically the they're they're kind of respectively like r2 and c3po and it's kind of filmed from their point of view and the, the beginning of the film it's you kind of see the trials and tri tribulations through 3po and r2's eyes interesting okay okay um so sand people Yes. Scavenging sand people. Um, what's their deal? The the sand people or Tuscan Raiders are uh, people who are, are native to the, the planet of Tatooine. Okay. Um, before a certain television show on Disney Plus, we were kind of led to believe that they were like savages and stuff like that. So, but yeah, they're they're natives of, of Tatooine. Okay. And so, and they uh, yeah they scav they scavenge for um, what kind of things do they scavenge for? Is well, the Jawas actually scavenge. The, the, you have the two factions on the planet. You have you have uh, Tuscan Raiders and the Jawas. The Jawas are kind of the scavengers. They pick up things in the desert and there's their sand crawler, basically old old droids and stuff. So they they can sell them. That's where they come across three PO and R two D two. Okay. Okay, so what about this key word, this key phrase that you mentioned that I think is a big deal in this, this story, and it's called the Force? The Force, yes. Well, the Force is, is like that nameless, that nameless thing that you just have a thing. It describes like the magic of Star Wars where you can move things with your mind, you can trick people into doing stuff, uh, and it, it makes you able to be a, a cunning warrior. Uh, in the early, earlier episodes, you can jump higher, run faster. Basically, it, it, it's it's a life force of all living beings that hold, binds and holds the galaxy together. And the Jedi's were the masters of the light side of the force. Uh, the the opposite side of the coin were the Sith, who mastered the dark side of the force. Gotcha. Okay. Um. So it mentions something about the Clone Wars. Now, I know that that's a whole other story that you can see, you know, in the Star Wars universe. But in order to understand this movie, what do we need to know about the Clone Wars? Well, the, um, when, when, uh, when Luke goes back with Obi-Wan 
they have a, a little exchange where uh, Obi-Wan basically gives him a little overview of what happened and transpired transpired before the ep- the, uh, the events of episode four. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. Yeah. Uh, up until that, up until the, the, the prequel movies came out, nobody really knew what the Clone Wars were. The Clone Wars were were just something that was mentioned. But in that conversation that, that Luke and Obi-Wan have, lie the groundwork for the prequels. Gotcha. Okay, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, anything interesting about these lightsabers that we learn in this movie? Um, you mean production-wise or, or? Just what they are, what they mean to Jedis. I mean, and there's anything that we should know? Yeah, the, the, the lightsaber is, is the, uh, the weapon of the Jedi. It's a, it's a more, civilized wep- more civilized weapon for uh, an uncivilized age. Uh, Jedi never, never, never look for a fight. They're always, you know, they, they use the force to, for protection and for guidance and stuff. But if stuff has to go down, they have to protect themselves and their lightsaber is basically their, not their only, but their, their main uh, form of protecting themselves. Gotcha. Okay. So, what about stormtroopers? What are they? Stormtroopers are the the uh, the four, not really the forebearers, but the afterbearers of clone troopers from the prequels. Um, before all the the uh, the things that transpired with uh, Episode Four. The Clone Wars, as we come to learn, or or we we come to re- realize, is that the Clone Wars was that the troopers were clones used to fight a uh, uh, separatist battle during a period of war. It was about three years, but after they had kind of run their, they've kind of outrun their usefulness because they're bred to to age rapidly. The, so that was kind of shut down. So they recruited people throughout the galaxy to sort of be like the the Empire's army, so to speak. And it, it draws, like I said, it draws a lot from Nazi Germany. Basically, stormtroopers are what the troopers were called during World War II. There were stormtroopers. Hmm. Okay. Interesting little bit of mix in history. A little there. history there, yeah. Okay. Um, so... It was said that Han Solo had a price on his head because of a guy named Jabba the Hutt. Who is that? Jabba the Hutt is uh, the gangster who kind of sort of runs Tatooine, and he runs what's known as Hut Space, which is like the outer regions of the, the galaxy. Um, in the original run, you don't get to meet Jabba. He's only mentioned in, the, in, the, uh, in Episode 4 and Episode 5. You actually get to see him in Episode 6. But with the the special editions that came out, they added a computer generated version of them. That first one, the first computer generated, it was crap. Mm. But basically, he's he's a giant slug. Yeah, I, I think I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, little pictures of him, and he. Yeah, let's see. Like yeah, when, originally <laughs> he was supposed to be somebody that was very similar to Chewbacca. If you go back and watch the the old footage that that. The reworked uh, computer-generated 
uh, Jabba the Hutt is. It's like this big, like fat guy, like wearing a, a a furry vest, and that guy was supposed to be Jabba, but they ultimately scrapped that idea and go for a, a giant slug. Giant slug. Eh, that makes it appropriate. <laughs> uh, okay, so. We learn that the Death Star commander's name is Grand Moff Tarkin. Yes, played by Peter Cushing. Okay, and what do we need to know about him? Basically, before episode five and episode six came out, he was the big baddie of the movie, but he gets overshadowed by Darth Vader. Oh. If you think about it, the bad guy in this movie is Grand Moff Tarkin. He really is, and Darth Vader is kind of sort of his lapdog, even though that's not the case because... When it comes to the Empire, the Emperor's first and Darth Vader's second. But uh, Grand Moff Tarkin has the command of the Death Star, so he kind of—Vader's role is kind of subdued in that matter. I was surprised in watching the—when I had seen the movies more recently, Yeah. Um, after my childhood, where I didn't really remember what happened, that— Darth, you know, we know Darth Vader. He's iconic. Yeah. And we know his voice mm -hmm. and the presence that he portrays. Mm -hmm. And you find out that, yeah, yeah, he's a big baddie, but he's not, he's taking orders from somebody. Yeah. He's not the grand, well, his, the other guy actually has grand in his name now, doesn't he? Yeah. The grand, grand bad moth. guy that we are worried about that yeah. i mean he is a bad guy that we're worried about but it's just it's, i was a little surprised by that so it's interesting to see where he falls in line and the way i like to think of it is darth vader you know not really doesn't really take orders from him but there's a mutual respect between tark and, and vader they have the same goals they have the same goals yes gotcha. okay okay so um you know on you know, Alderaan is destroyed. Yes. Um, and can that is Leia's home planet. Yeah. And do we know anything about anything more about her family? Uh, you know, she mentions her father. Um, is there anything else that we need to know at all? I know I don't already asked about Alderaan, but I I know that she's trying to get these plans of the Death Star to her father. Yes. But obviously, that's not what happens. Alderaan is destroyed. Yes. So, I I don't know. I it was just it's just like it seems like a whole lot of loss right there. Yeah. You know, and I know this is something that you know having watching some you know one particular new television show mm -hmm. um, that it's something that comes up again. You know mm -hmm. what happened when this planet was destroyed and how it affected their the world. Yes, and and everything and the kind of people that you know once inhabited. To mm -hmm. it, if I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> yeah, the ultimate goal was to, to have the Death Star plans direct uh, given to Leia's father on Alderaan. But after the planet was destroyed, I guess the kind of the sort of the backup plan was to go to the Rebel base, which is on Yavin Four. That the that the Empire doesn't know where they are, but unfortunately, when the the Millennium Falcon is drawn in by the tractor beam. The Empire sort of gets ahead of them and puts a tracking beacon on the Millennium Falcon so they can see just exactly where the Rebel base is. Gotcha. It was something that she didn't really want to give up uh, reluctantly, so she kind of cooks up a story and says, the, you know, the planet, the, the Rebel base is on this planet called 
Dantooine. It's not Tatooine, but Dantooine. Mm-hmm. So hoping that the the space station would sp- spare Alderaan and blow up that planet. And Dantooine, we come to realize that there was former remnants of a rebel base, but there was no one there. But I don't think it was a planet that was inhabited by life and stuff like that. So it ultimately, to pardon the phrase, blows up in her face and her home planet is destroyed. So, you mentioned um, then a planet called Yavin 4. Is there anything we need to know about that planet besides that's for the location of the rebel base? Uh, Yavin 4 is the fourth planet of the Yavin system. It, it, uh, it's kind of sort of a moon that uh, uh, orbits the, the gas giant Yavin. Um, the one thing that always bothered me about that, and somebody explained it to me, it was just like, why did you have to go all the way around the gas giant to get to Yavin 4, you probably could have just aimed your laser at the gas giant and blown that up, and subsequently the moon would have been destroyed, but then you ruined the whole movie. But then somebody explained to me, it's it's a gas giant, it probably would have gone right through, and or if it did destroy the planet, it would have destroyed the that star along with it, and I'm just like, well then pull it further back. <laughs> well, you know, there's lots of things that you and I point out in yeah. movies and shows that are they don't really make any sense. They're just there to help move a plot point forward. So one of the main things that I is the language that they use in Star Wars that's not really, uh, shall we say, used would be used in the galaxy far, far away. Uh, one classic example is when uh, Uncle Owen is looking for Luke and he doesn't know where he is. He said. Well, he better be back by, with those droids by midday or they'll be hell to pay. Just be like, I'm expecting Emperor to go, what the hell is hell? What are you talking about? What is hell? <laughs> Never heard of this concept of hell before. Or the, the fact that Han's ship is called the Millennium Falcon. And just have Obi-Wan go, what's that? Just like, well, you've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? but No, I've never heard of what a falcon is. What is a falcon? What is this you thing you speak of? <laughs> so in their universe, Earth doesn't exist? So no, 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 it's it's a galaxy far, far away, like on the far-flung reaches of outer <laughs> space. Yeah. Um, Another example of that is in episode one where they're trying to escape, and the pilot just goes, if we don't get out of here, we'll, we'll be sitting ducks. And then just expect Obi-Wan, young Obi-Wan, to go, What's a duck? <laughs> what is a duck you speak of? It's probably all explained in in like legends and canon stuff, stuff that I don't really go into. I can't get into it because it would consume my life, and Star Wars consumes enough of my life. <laughs> Basically, uh, like a, the gist of it, like on the detail that people get into is like every character from the most Eisley Cantina in Episode Four, every single character you see subsequently has a backstory and why they're there that's how deep you know like uber 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 fans get into star wars yes um okay so there's a few more phrase terms and stuff that i want to have a better understanding of so you hear the the term of tie fighters what are tie fighters tie fighters are uh, the main uh combat vehicles of the empire tie is uh is an acronym and stands for twin ion agent engine okay um but when you look at it it kind of sort of looks like a bow tie <laughs> <laughs> okay that's a good way yeah. to, to know what you look they at are. it it looks like a bow tie but yeah <laughs> i wonder if that's a that's a little little inside joke there you know yeah. uh, a little easter egg hidden in there something, something like the reb the rebel wings are, are easier to understand because they're they're kind of sort of based off of uh the shapes are based off of letters like an X-wing, it's shaped like an X. A Y-wing, 
when you look at the bomber, it's shaped like a Y, stuff like that. Although the one that I never understood was a B-wing because it doesn't look like a B. It looks like a lowercase T. Hmm, interesting. We're not introduced to those until Return of the Jedi, so I'm getting ahead of myself. But there is a one that's uh, uh, a fighter calling it A-wing. That kind of looks. It's like a flying triangle. It kind of sort of looks like an A, but it doesn't have the 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 A holes to so to speak. <laughs> Okay, for the most part, I think that's all that I can think of as far as some terminology and, and things that we might want to know a little more about to have a better understanding of the movie. Yeah. So should we take a break and then move on to our discussion? Yes. All right, let's take a break. All righty. everybody we're back to our second half of our discussion on star wars episode four a new hope that's right and we're gonna start it off by sharing our history with the movie star wars or the franchise yeah and you know what it's meant to us um and i think i'm gonna start because i have a lot less to say than you you do so um you know as a kid i remember I remember watching it and, you know, looking back, um, having seen it more recently, I, there were some things I didn't even realize were Star Wars. Like I remember watching things that had to do, um, um, with certain things. And then, and then later on, I'm like, Oh, that's, that was Star Wars. I was watching as a kid uh-huh. or whatever. Um, you know, I have, for starters, let's just say I have a horrible memory, which you, you are well aware of. Yeah. Um, I do remember watching it with my grandfather when I was a kid. Um, and I remember, I, you know, I had had a, a pretty severe injury as a, as a kid, so I spent some time in the hospital, uh, which I heard you talked about in our last one when I was... You broke your leg, right? Yeah, I broke my femur, so I was in the hospital for over three weeks, and then I was in a body cast for over, about a, over a month. <laughs> so it ate up a whole summer for me. That is the hardest bone in the body to break. I guess it's the hardest <laughs> bone to heal, too. It's the, the largest bone in the body, yes. Bone, and yeah. when you're a child, they can't just do surgery and fix it because you have you still have growing to do. So, uh-huh. yeah. So anyway... Um, I watched a lot of TV, <laughs> but uh, I, I do remember watching it in the hospital with my dad a little bit, and it was one of those things that you, it's an iconic movie. It's an mm-hmm. iconic franchise. Everybody knows certain quotes from it, ones that are revealed later in the next movie. I ne- won't necessarily go into it now, but I'm sure most listeners who aren't too young know who Luke Skywalker's father is. Yeah. Especially so, if you've if you've seen the movie Tommy Boy. Yeah. Where Tommy Boy is talking into his fan and Luke, 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 Luke. Yes. Well there's so many things where that quote is uttered by other people and yeah. other movies and television shows and that kind of thing. So that reveal is quite you know, pretty much spoiled for most people. Yeah. Um by the time they probably get to watch it unless they're exposed to it relatively young. If you're you're insular and, and you know what I like seeing most of these days is like the reaction videos of kids who haven't had that that background stuff who actually get to see that stuff for the first time and they're just their their look of disbelief it, it, it's like telling them you know Santa Claus uh, 
doesn't live at the North Pole because Santa Claus exists. We all know that. Yeah. I wasn't going to say Santa Claus doesn't exist. I mean, he does exist. Yes, he does. Yeah, Santa Claus exists, kids. Out there. He just doesn't live at the North Pole. He lives in Norway. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. <laughs> I didn't want to ruin it for the kids out there. He's t- totally real, as is the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy. Wait, I'm what? Put a, put a listener discretion. Sorry. <laughs> the beginning of this, of this episode. That part. Don't listen. <laughs> Don't take listen to your... this with your children, people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But anyway, watching those videos with kids who get to see the, the, the big, big reveal in the next episode is. Yes. You know, it's satisfying to watch. Yeah. So. And it's one of those things that since I was a kid, you know, again, I have a horrible memory and I remember watching it as a kid. I knew I watched it, but I didn't really remember everything that happened in it other than, you know, again, everybody seems to know. And it wasn't until recently, you know, you and I got together. It was on my list of things. Like, I eventually really got to sit down and rewatch the Star Wars movies. And I didn't know, and, you know, for years now, they've been coming out with, you know... The, the, you know, episode one, two, and three, mm-hmm. and then um, seven, eight, and nine, mm-hmm. and just other things. So, it, again, it was on my list, and we started watching them again. Um, you and I have been watching The Mandalorian. Yes. It was, you know, our trailer info was true about the Baby Yoda, or Grogu, <laughs> uh, kind of sucking me into it, because who the heck, what does it want to talk about that adorable little guy? Anyway, so... Um, but yeah, I, it's been fun revisiting it and learning, you know, more about it. So I feel a little bit more a part of the world now yeah. and not so like, I don't understand what people are talking about when they talk about things. I still have a ways to go, but yeah. that's what I have you for. Yeah. I'm surprised that you weren't sucked into the universe the way that I was kind of sucked into the universe, like without really knowing it. And this is probably a, a whole other podcast, but I think my first entree that I can really remember is uh, Mel Brooks Spaceballs. I did see Spaceballs, but it's been <laughs> over 10 years for sure. Because I, re- I definitely remember watching Spaceballs before Star Wars, and I love Spaceballs. I love all Mel Bro- Brooks's comedies, but Spaceballs is is really, really good. It's definitely not his best, but it's it's up. Th- he definitely gets... When he talks about his movies, that's the one that people come up to them the most about. I would imagine, though, that you have a much better appreciation or understanding of the comedy of Spaceballs yeah. after watching, you know, some Star of the Star Wars, Wars yeah. movies. Yeah. Yeah, this was before I saw Star Wars. So here's a, a basic history of me, you know, a little, a little you know a little peek into nick's mind here uh i can remember the exact moment till i was 12 years old no i was 11 years old uh the first real blockbuster movie that i remember seeing more than once was actually the 1996 classic independence day Mm -hmm. i saw that movie in the theater about four times because I loved it so much because that that was my real blockbuster. You would have thought, like, the second movie I ever saw, Jurassic Park, but I only saw that in the theater once. So around my third or fourth viewing of (laughs) Independence Day, they they play the trailers and stuff like that. There's this trailer that comes up. It's just, it's a black screen, and in the middle of the black screen, you see a TV set. And all of a sudden, you hear a voice, for a generation... 
the only way to watch Star Wars has been on a television set. Coming next year, you'll be able to see Star Wars on the big screen in a different way. And this X-Wing fighter flies out of the TV set and it, it, it engulfs the whole screen. And then that iconic Star Wars music plays. And now watching that in a theater, it just blew me away. Just watching that trailer alone blew me away. And I was just like, whoa, what is this? I'm just like... I know it's been there in the periphery of my life, but now it's come laser focused. Just like, what is this? I want to see this so bad. So the following, that following January, because they were going to release them uh, in January was episode four. February was Empire Strikes Back. And then March was Return of the Jedi which I didn't get to see on the big screen because I got in trouble and I was grounded, so I didn't get to see Return of the Jedi. Oh, no. I saw the I saw four and five, but never six on the big what screen. What were you grounded for? I don't know. I was probably doing stupid stuff. <laughs> Me this, as a stupid kid. <laughs> this was before, though, the episode one, two, and three started coming out. Oh, theaters, yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. Episode one didn't come out until 99. Okay. And I was excited for that to come out, too. Uh, I actually remember my aunt's birthday party just pestering my my grandfather I said telling him, I don't want to I don't want to be here I want to go to the movies I want to go it's like okay we'll go and he took me to the movies <laughs> he saw episode one which in retrospect when I was watching episode one I'm just like hey that was that was that was kind of good but then I started getting third party perspective on it and then I realized that Jar Jar Banks ruined the entire thing for me, and I'm just like, you know what? You're right. That sucks. That's right. You you've been saving me from that, so <laughs> oh, we yeah. haven't gone down that road. <laughs> We're gonna go down that road. We have to go down. We don't that have road choice. I'm. <laughs> if I can't bit. be spared from it, neither can you. <laughs> um, so you got to see the first two movies in the theater, which is not yeah. What all, most people, you know, they're the special the they're the the special edition versions too, which might be sacrilege, but uh, some of the, the uh, the reworked scenes, like especially during the the Death Star attack, the those scenes were great. But of course, you have the the C, the first version of, of the CGI job of the hut, which if you look at it now, it looks terrible compared to the reworked versions. It looks more like Jabba now. But back then, they just be like, "All right, I think this is a good idea to put in." You just like, not really. That kind of looks crap. And then of course you have the ultimate sacrilege, which was having Greedo shoot first. And I don't know if you know what that is, but in the cantina, Greedo is a is a, a green guy who works for Jabba the Hutt, and he's trying to, to collect the bounty on Han. Mm -hmm. But underneath the table, he has his blaster, and he's about to, to blast. Well, he, he doesn't have his blaster, and Han has his blaster on, on the table. In the first version of the movie, Han shoots him first to kill him because he doesn't want to be killed by 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 Greedo but in the reworked version George Lucas got it into his head to be like well Han Solo is not a killer He's, so they did a thing where Greedo shot first and it like you can see Han Solo move his head slightly yeah and then he shoots again and it just looks terrible and amongst the Star Wars community that's just like ugh. so even though even in reworked version they, they have them shoot some simultaneously but everybody who knows anybody the 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 immortal phrase always comes up Han shot first. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, any other thoughts on that 
on your first viewing the theater and how you felt about it? Yeah, uh, even before seeing it in the movie theater, I became enamored with uh, the Millennium Falcon. Mm. And for that Christmas, uh, if, let's say, if this was a Christmas story, uh, the the electronic light-up Millennium Falcon from Kenner Toys was my Red Rider BB gun that I got for Christmas. <laughs> the greatest toy I ever got or would ever receive ever. It was electronic. It was about like three foot long. You know, it lit mm-hmm. up. It had all the sounds. The problem was is that before we moved up to, to Quake, where we live now from where we were. I'm not saying where we live. <laughs> I'm not putting that out. But before we moved... The toy broke. The radio, the 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 radar dish broke, and I didn't think that I could save it, so I actually I threw it away. <laughs> and I, I regretted it ever since until episode seven came out, and I could buy it again. So I have I have a little piece of my childhood. You know, if this was if this was uh, Citizen Kane, that uh, Millennium Falcon would be my rosebud. <laughs> Not to ruin that for anybody. Has anybody seen it? But yeah. <laughs> One movie at a time here, Nick. One movie yeah, at a yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I know how much you love your uh, Star Wars toys. Um, you even used some to decorate <laughs> the front of our house when it snowed before Christmas. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm surprised they all remained. Yeah. <laughs> um, didn't you just in- recently invest in one that made an appearance in this movie? Yes, I did. Are you, are you talking about our, our little friend here from our, the other day? Yes, our little new R2 guy. Yes, who, I have I have a, uh, an app-controlled R2-D2 from a Sphero. Uh, Sphero, I guess that's what they're called, but he's a little app-controlled R2-D2. I can drive him around the apartment and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I think I woke up to him being driven around down here um, the other day. Yeah. I heard all the little noises. I'm like, Planned with his R2. Uh, um, I, is this the new theme now? Before every ep- before every new podcast episode, you'll get a toy from that movie. Why not? Last time it was Ecto, another Ecto one, and now yeah. it's R2. No, I, I don't think I'm going to buy anything from episode f- five or six. I, I think I pretty much have all that I have right now. <laughs> but no, I don't think it's going to be a running theme. I just, you know, I thought it was funny. (laughs) But it is, those toys are the majority that I have in my collection. Uh, This is a good two-thirds of my life now. Since I'm about 11, 12 years old, it's just consumed my life. Just watching it the first time, I think what really sells Star Wars is, you know, the visuals and all that stuff. But I don't think Star Wars would be Star Wars without that score from John Williams. That, uh... A interesting fact, it's been voted number one from the American Film Institute as the greatest score of all time, and I have to agree with them. Just every time you hear that music, it's it, it brings something back. Um, yeah, I did want to discuss, you know, the, uh, the music as, because it's, you know, one other very iconic piece of the Star Wars universe, so bring, it brings her our lives like even if you've never seen the movies you hear that music and you know that that's star wars yeah. there's no question mm-hmm. so um and I, I think it's just i mean you know obviously not knowing it for anything else it's just it's very you know just i don't know it just fits it so well yeah. so uh you know i think that is something you can't discuss star wars without 
without talking about the iconic music that goes along with the movie. It's definitely very class. It's very like classical, classically motivated stuff. And I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. You keep talking. Yeah, I'm done. Okay. And I think, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But yeah, I think it it owes a lot, especially to some of its predecessors. Most importantly, would probably be be Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Now, when you watch that movie, nearly, not, almost the entire soundtrack is set to classical music, like, uh, uh, Strauss's The Blue Danube or even the beginning of the movie it's from uh, Johann Sh- Strauss's Also Speaks Zarathustra just the boom 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 so that Star Wars there's a lot to that too I think uh, George Lucas's original idea was to like have like to make it sound like a sci-fi movie to like mm. have futuristic sounds and stuff like that that would have been a mistake I don't think that would have fit the movie I've I get that, but I feel like there's something about about that tune, even though it is, you know, classically done music, that it still has a little bit of a futuristic, I don't know, like maybe it's just because I'm associated with Star Wars, yeah. that it's just like so ingrained that I, you know, but I, to me, that's what I think of. So I don't know, maybe it's not too far off. Yeah. I, don't know. I, th- I think the opposite way, because it, it definitely, you know, brings in like the classical elements, especially like the story elements of like Arthurian legend. It's basically like space Arthurian legend and stuff like that. Mm. Which is which is weird because the, the entire cycle of Star Wars is based off of like I've mentioned before the uh it's the 19 hold on one second I got to go through my notes here. It it's based off of this the hero cycle is based off of a book by a man called Joseph Campbell. It's called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And basically, when you go through it, there's 12 points in that. I'm not going to get into all of them because they're they're this, that, and the other thing. But when you read the points, you'll notice that not only Star Wars follows the quote-unquote hero's journey, but you'll notice Lord of the Rings follows that. Avatar follows that. The Matrix follows that. Even Lion King follows that. But I think Star Wars kind of sort of did it the best. Gotcha. I'm, I, I know what you're, you're saying, so... It kind of what also makes it a classic. Yeah. Um, so is there anything else that you want to share about its effect on you as a person in your childhood? Yeah, it's definitely cost me a lot of money in buying <laughs> toys and stuff. Not only toys, but, you know, we have cupware. I have, uh, I have uh, I'm looking at it right now. I have a Chewbacca uh, coffee cup that I use for my coffee. Yeah, right over there. And then we have wine glasses, and we have uh, R two D two salt shakers. This, You're that, and the other thing. My, You're drinking out of your baby Yoda cup. Your baby Yoda cup. Uh, George Lucas probably one of several we have. Yeah, <laughs> George Lucas probably made one of the greatest deals of all time concerning Star Wars. Basically, the studio heads didn't think it was going to be a hit, and so rather than like you know take you know a percentage. George Lucas said, all right, I'll take 40% on merchandising rights. And the, the studio was just like, you're, you're a sucker. Okay, we'll give you 40% of merchandising right. He's made billions of dollars off toys and licensing alone. Yeah, it's kind of like... He's like, a smart guy. Yeah. Going back to what... Uh, uh, going back to Spaceballs, you know, uh, 
<laughs> it's like yogurt says, merchandising, merchandising. That's where you make the money. <laughs> Another f- funny thing about that when uh, Mel Brooks was making Spaceballs, he had to ask permission from George Lucas, you know, to do that. And George Lucas said, okay, you get my permission, but I just have one one stipulation. Don't make toys based on the movie because that's where I make my money. <laughs> that's a good so, point. Yeah. yeah, that stuff. That's why we don't see any spo- space balls toys, I guess. No, Much you, nice. you can, you can, you don't have like the toys. You don't have action figures. But you can just take anything. What he did in space, just take a shirt and just put space balls the t-shirt. My friend Jay the other day, he he saw somebody with a ma- uh, face mask you know due to the covid time and it just said space boss the face mask <laughs> so it works for anything um so there's one another iconic thing that i want to talk about uh and it's basically how the movie starts and i think yeah. i guess all the movie movies start this way is the scroll of text that yes. you know tells us you know the background to get us to the point of understanding what's currently mm-hmm. going on so do you have anything to tell me about that? Yeah, like I said, um, you you can thank the 1940s Flash Gordon serials for that because mm-hmm. they started most off the same way. That they were this there was shorts like movie serials that would play before movies, so they would have Flash Gordon, which took place in space. But anyway, before the story would come, they would have text telling you what happened in the previous episode before that and they were episodes too uh, bef- uh, they didn't know they were going to make a sequel so uh, George Lucas was adamant in calling this this episode 4 but the studio heads didn't want to call that so but it, it wasn't until after Empire Strikes Back came out that he put the episode 4 so it, it was uh, it started beforehand do you know if he always wanted to call it a new hope or just refer to it as episode four? Actually, no. Uh, if, if you think, if you get back into the history of it, he this is this is a movie that's gone through a lot of edits. Not like a lot of edits, but quite a few. Actually, <laughs> the original title, and this is true, it was called The Adventures of the Star Killer, as taken from the Journal of the Wills, Saga 1, The Star Wars. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> And basically, that's that's from his second draft of it. Uh, the second draft is out there, and I, I I actually have a comic book series where they took that second draft and they just they just made a comic book out of it. Uh, Luke Skywalker isn't Luke Skywalker. His name is Anakin Starkiller. Uh, Han Solo is a is a seven foot lizard man with gills and type stuff like that. Okay. Well, they changed that, but okay. Yeah, they changed a lot of stuff. <laughs> when you read, if you ever come across it, I think it was uh, Dark Horse Comics. It's called The Star Wars, and it's based off of that second draft. Gotcha. Okay. But yeah, the the text flying through space uh, owes a lot to yeah the Flash Gordon serials and uh, another fun fact. Do you know who who wrote that original text for Episode Four? No. Director Brian De Palma. Oh. Known famously for movies like Carrie or and Dress to Kill and, and movies like that. Oh, cool. Okay. They were part of a collective out in San Francisco uh, with uh, Francis Ford Coppola, who uh, directed The Godfather. But they had like a collective of directors. So it was George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, all these directors out there. 
uh, the, about the only person who believed in George Lucas's project was Steven Spielberg. <laughs> so much so that he had a bet with George Lucas. He said, uh, "If it doesn't, if it doesn't make enough money, you can have four percent off of my movie, which comes out before yours." And that movie just so happened to be Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh. But it did make movie so. It did definitely make money, so they get four percent off of each movie. Spielberg gets four percent off of Star Wars, and Lucas gets four percent off of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, so okay, that's they a nice make little, bank off of that. little deal they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh, nice to have that kind of friendship. Yeah. Okay, so we talked about that that intro, which is again a very iconic thing that that scroll of text through the space. Yeah, and. What I really want to talk about too is the characters and some of the iconic things with her, with them. Sorry, yeah. I say her because my first thought is Princess Leia. Yeah, and you know, the very first thing I think about, which has become very iconic to the point where I know that her hairstyle does not <laughs> remain consistent throughout the entire franchise. Yeah, um, but if people you know, refer to her, they dress up as Princess Leia. Yeah. They're always doing that side bun thing. The it's Cinnabons the, on the, the side Cinnabons of the head. The on the yeah. side of the head. There's so many times where, like, that's been referenced again, you know, in, in different TV shows and movies and yeah. joking around and, and that kind of thing. And you just take little two little buns and put them on the sides of your head over your ears, and, and it's like, oh, that's Princess Leia, you know. and uh, Those would be nice headphones for you. Because we definitely have the over-the-air hey. headphones. And I'm pretty sure that they make those. I well, mean, if they can do that in, for Princess Vespa and Spaceballs, I'm well, sure. Well, Valentine's Day's coming up, dude. <laughs> hint, hint. Okay. <laughs> Loud and clear. <laughs> that would be funny. Yeah. You and I already have, you know, T-shirts. Not in reference to... The first movie, episode four, that we're yeah. covering. Um, well, we can talk about our t-shirts more with the next, uh, the next one. But yeah, um, if you subscribe to us on our on our Facebook page, you've definitely seen the shirts. Yes, and uh, and but again, before our logos came out, that quote, those quotes that are featured on our shirts are from a different movie where Princess Leia features a different hairstyle. But what hairstyle is she wearing on those shirts? The classic. Fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and, yeah. So, I mean, everyone knows that when that, you know, goes along with, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of funny having rewatched it, realize how difficult it must have been to have as a hairstyle and probably why it wasn't kept up. I have no idea. I'm just speculating here. Um, as a hairstyle for her because it gets so, it got so very messy sometimes. Like, she's, like, out there, you know, being a fighter and, you know. That's, but, not, uh, that's not what concerned her during the film. The, during the filming of it, what concerned her the most was the fact that she didn't have underwear. Like, she was, she couldn't have a bra. Or Carrie Fisher couldn't wear she underwear? She couldn't wear underwear because basically what George Lucas said it was, oh, they don't have underwear in this universe. That's Mm, yeah, I don't like that. So she she had <laughs> to okay. she had to kind of like strategically tape stuff down, especially when you see in in the uh, the trash compactor scene, like they they get they're wet because it's it's stuff. And she's wearing a white blouse. White and 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 water don't mix. It's like an X ray. Ugh, yeah. Oh, Paul. So she's Carrie Fisher, man, you you're awesome. And it was totally not like Lucas being like sexist or, or stuff like that. He was, I mean, you can say that, but he, he was just, you know, he didn't really convey a lot of stuff. He basically, when he was directing, he only had two directions. It, it was go faster 
or or do it louder so much so that when he was directing the movie he lost his voice and when they, the actors would like to see what he would want, he only had two cue cards saying either go faster or do it louder or something like that. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I've seen some. And I, and there's one, like, you know, I have here. I brought some notes from the computer of, like, a poster that it seems that they they took some of the characters and in a way they, they look a little over-sexualized. Um, you know, Carrie Fisher's... Oh yeah, character is her leg is out, you know, and her, you know, she's her shirt, shirt is like very low compared to what it actually is in the film. I believe that's Luke Skywalker that's over open chested as well. Yeah. And I'm like, and ironically, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but let's just say I'm gonna say it, there. If brother you know, and sister yeah. in this thing, oh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. there's other things to discuss there, yeah. but and then 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 there's you know Darth Vader in the background, their father, yeah, and I'm like. Like, it's just a little, like... You didn't like, know that at that point. You no, but it's point. just a little, you the know... The only like, person mm. that knew George Luke was George Lucas. Yeah, I didn't feel that... I just, looking at this, and it doesn't look bad. No. It, the artwork's done nice as well, as good, but I, you know, I'm out there watching it, I'm like, I don't see her, see her as much, maybe because I'm a woman, but just in general, I felt like that's just not how they're seen. Hypersexualized. Yeah, yeah, they're not, it's not like that, you know? I mean, there's definitely sexual te- tension in the, in the movies. Oh, yeah. And we'll discuss that more, um, but it's just like, that's how, I, how I, I see them, you know, from, you know, I don't know. But, teach their own. Incest is illegal in this galaxy. I'm pretty sure incest is illegal in that galaxy, too. <laughs> well... So <laughs> we'll we'll save that. We'll save for later. That for, for later. Future discussions, and because we are doing all three of these in a row. Yes. Yes. So um, to get more into you know d- different characters and character development, um, let's talk about the three main characters. You had mentioned a while ago when we talked about things that the Star Wars kind of follow a theme where they have three characters um and it's got a lot of you know it focuses on these three characters and their relationship and relationships and you know this episode which i think has continued then with the next two Mm -hmm. is the relationships between princess leia luke skywalker and han solo yeah so let's talk some more about you know about them as individual characters and, and their relationship with each other so you know it's kind of put out there and i guess i mean I'm trying to recall some of the movies kind of muddled together in my brain but that there's a little bit of a uh, possibly romantic triangle you know with the focus being center being princess leia yeah between luke skywalker and han solo mm-hmm. and i think it starts out in this movie right the, yeah. there's some tension there and you know what is the relationship like between Princess Leia and Han? Or sorry, let's start with Luke Skywalker. I I I think it's kind of not like overtly romantic, but mm-hmm. he's definitely like he not not that he is like the knight in shining armor because that implies that she's helpless and she's totally not. She holds her own. She's probably I I think like along with Ellen Ripley from from the Alien franchise, like one of the most mm-hmm. badass female characters Absolutely. ever. You know, she can hold her own, hold a blaster and blast the hell out of stormtroopers, that stuff. 
So it it, it kind of seems like it's romantic between those two, whereas between Han and Leia, it's definitely an antagonistic thing. But Han kind of sort of is has those romantic gestures in his own you know scoundrel type of way. Yeah, he's definitely pursuant of her in a way that like. You know, you act like you hate me, but you really love me kind of yeah. thing. And um, I, I kind of took it as like a, you could see look, Luke looking at her in a, you know, like, hey, there's a girl. Like, <laughs> kind of took it as like maybe he didn't have her. He wasn't around a lot of girls <laughs> in his younger years. And Especially, like, oh, hey, there's yeah. a girl. Maybe something can happen here. But she didn't really, you could tell she cares for him mm-hmm. a lot, but I didn't necessarily see it as, you know, she had any possible romantic interest in him. No, it, he, she was basically just his call into, you know, this new world. Yes. And a lot of this, I mean, you know, obviously Luke Skywalker is our main character. Yeah. And this, this series is, is about his journey. And these, especially these, these three original movies that came out uh-huh. is about his journey and yeah. him finding himself and being the hero. His trials and tribulations and things like that, yeah. Yes. So um, let's talk a little bit more. Let's talk a little more about Han Solo. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we can <laughs> finish it out with a little more about Luke. But so what about Han Solo? What's, what is his background and his character in general? I mean, he's played by Harrison Ford and... Well, even bef- even before this was this movie was like being cast, it, w- it was like the hot ticket around Hollywood and stuff, and everybody was reading for for characters and stuff. Uh, wh- they actually have like sizzle reels where the uh, where people are are reading lines and things. People like Christopher Walken and Kurt Russell mm. were considered for this part. If you watch like a sizzle reel. Kurt Russell, I think, would have done a great, a fantastic job as Han Solo. I could see that. When you when you watch this stuff and when he's reading his lines, I'm just like, you know what? I If Harrison Ford wasn't there, I could totally see Kurt Russell. Maybe that's because I'm a huge fan of Big Trouble in Little China, which is, of course, the greatest movie ever made. Hmm. As a film series, Star Wars is there, but the greatest movie ever made is Big Trouble in Little China. I'm just putting that out there. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, that's mind, that's that's uh, just mi- that's a mind blower. We'll have to right? further discuss this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well let's. let's I know let's, I'm let's dropping bombs here, but <laughs> anyway, yeah. When they were reading lines, uh, Harrison Ford was kind of a placeholder for Han oh. Solo. He was actually working as uh, he was working as a carpenter, uh, and he didn't. He he would just come in as a placeholder to read lines for Han Solo. But George Lucas liked him so much. That he was just like, oh, you you want to play Han Solo? And he's like, okay. <laughs> That's and was, how his career starts. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but before, even before Star Wars, he was in uh, George Lucas's second movie, his critically acclaimed American Graffiti, mm. where he kind of played an, an, an antagonistic guy, like a, a, a hot rodder guy who's trying to find this one dude so he can drag race him and stuff like that. So he's always kind of been like the, this this hot-headed, like, broguish type feel, like, where, like, if, if, like, if Luke, Luke is kind of like the, is the knight, like, the white knight, not white knight, but if this was, like, a traditional story, Luke would be a knight, Obi-Wan would be a wizard, and then Han Solo would kind of, sort of be, 
Princess Leia, of course, is the princess, and then Han Solo would be totally not keeping in with this, but like a pirate. He's like a space pirate. He's just like the this devil may care attitude type guy. You know, I've been through this galaxy. I've been from one side to the other. I'm I'm just a I'm doing this for the money. That's what I'm doing this for. You know, it's funny, and not to get into a whole other franchise, but we had talked, you know, about that, you know, the different faces, different heroes. With a thousand faces. Heroes with a thousand faces. And, you know, one of the ones that you didn't mention before, but we had mentioned off mic, um, being a a franchise that brought us together and that we both really love is being Harry Potter. Yeah. And just hearing you talk about that, I immediately think, oh, my God. Han Solo is Harry Potter, Princess Leia is Hermione, and Han Solo is Ron, except for that Ron is not nearly as badass as <laughs> Solo, yeah. but he has his own charm. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, Harry is, Harry is Luke, kind of, sort of. That's what I, didn't I not say you that? You said That's he was Han, so we oh, have two Oh, I'm so Hans. sorry, so sorry. Yes, no, no, no. It's Harry basically is, like is a Luke Skywalker. The, her- the hero of this story is Harry... Whereas Ron isn't isn't really Han Solo. I mean, when you read those stories and watch those movies, you but o- he ends up with the girl. But you ultimately think when you read those when you read those books, what did you think before ultimately what would happen? Well, see, you can't, I didn't read the book all the books before. I watched some of the movies <sighs> first. How dare you! You knew this already. What? Um, I had watched the first, okay, this is completely not about Star Wars, but you know that I watched the first four movies before <laughs> yeah, yeah, I read yeah, the books. And so they're already showed in some of the movies yeah. like that, you know, a little bit of tension. And I remember watching, I think it was the second movie. They showed something. I don't know if it was anticipation of what them eventually getting together, what they knew about the, I don't know. Yeah. But there was like a moment at the end of that second movie movie and i'm like oh they're gonna get together and i just knew it from there i think rolling kind of through that you know throw us a curveball because if it was a traditional story harry probably would have wound up with hermione but harry had other interests and somebody else was interested in him but as they say the everything worked out fine that's another uh podcast we'll talk way more about that when we get there definitely (laughs) so um but yes i mean there's you know similarities amongst the different stories um, so there's definitely some parallels there for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I recommend that book highly. Uh, Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Even though when you read it, it is kind of sort of like a, a lecture and it's, you know, very textbooky. You know, to quote Beetlejuice, it's like reading stereo instructions. But it, it kind of gives you the baseline of all these mythological, all the myths we, we've had in these world and, you know, movies and TV shows and books we have today that the hero's journey kind of sort of follows the structure. Yeah. 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 I, 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 there's going to be a lot that we kind of were that will, that will yeah. kind of ring true with all this. So we talked a little bit. I mean, anything else about, about Han Solo we can talk about? I mean, what about his relationship with Chewie? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's probably one of the great friendships in in movies uh uh basically that's more explored in in the movie solo but uh uh han kind of sort of saved chewie's life uh so uh chewie owes what we in the star wars universe call a life debt mm-hmm. so but they become best friends and they're inseparable and stuff like that um Okay, so let's talk about Luke. Okay. And so 
Um, first of all, who is your favorite character? We just talked about him, but let's, I know who you are. We got to backtrack to that. Yes, Chewbacca is my all-time favorite Star Wars character. Uh, why is he your favorite character? I don't know. He's he's cute and I wouldn't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you said it. Go ahead. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily call him cute and cuddly, but he's like he's like a, a, a big bear dog type thing that you wish would be like your best friend. So I guess Han as a lucky guy. Yeah, I wish I had a walking car, but as a huge best friend. <laughs> it made awesome noises. I love those noises. <laughs> sound designer, you can thank sound designer Ben Burt for that. Basically, it's just uh, Chewy talking is is uh, all animal noises. The majority of them are bear noises and stuff like that. Yeah. But I just love those noises. I can't do them myself. I can come close, but you know, well, I'm not going to do it now. Everybody has their own Chewbacca noises that they make. It's interesting because <laughs> there's two characters that do not verbalize with the normal language, uh, but they do communicate with noises um, and an expression. And that's Chewbacca and R2-D2. Yeah, that's why he's my second favorite, R2. <laughs> Mostly because R2 is like, he's like a, he's a little scamp. He's, he's always getting into mischief and stuff like that. And it's just this character who doesn't talk. He's just beeps and boops and this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> but you still can understand him. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> I like going back and, and watching episode four, there's, there's a part my friend Andrew likes to point out that, that where, uh, and I like to do this whenever I watch the movie, uh, R, uh, 3PO is talking to, to R2-D2 He's just like You think about playing that whole message And then R2 beeps And he's just like No I don't think he likes you And then he beeps again And then <laughs> 3PO goes I don't like you either <laughs> Basically what I like to do When I watch that scene Is just Do you think he likes me? No I don't think he likes you at all Do you like me? No I don't like you either Oh. <laughs> So you can kind of sort of put that yeah, yeah, stuff together. Yeah, I guess. And I'm sure there's YouTube videos, I think, where they, they take the beeps and boops out and they put R2 talking. So, <laughs> yeah. Who are you calling a philosopher? You oh boy, Cobb Grace. Now get out of there before they blast you. <laughs> it is quite funny yeah. seeing um, R2 and C-3PO and their communication. And you know, especially since C-3PO can be a little annoying in his, you know, as you put it, his prestiness yeah. or whatever. Um, I never realized it's funny because rewatching it as an adult, and I'm like, God, I didn't know that C3PO was so like kind of annoying, and I don't want to say that because like I still like him, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's just like it's kind of like there's moments where I'm just like, just shut up, <laughs> like, <laughs> like just stop talking. You know, he's just like rambling on. Um, that's but yeah. That's, but that's the counterbalance that you have to have to 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 R2's more adventurous side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we get a lot of the communication of R2 through you know, his communication with C3 mm -hmm. C3PO. Yeah. So okay. So let's round it out. Um let's talk about Luke a little bit more. Um you know, obviously he's the main character. He's our hero. He's on his journey. This is the kind yes. of like the start of us watching him on his journey. Mm -hmm. What would you describe what what is what is his journey? His journey is kind of basically, you know, finding his place in this universe. I mean, there's that iconic shot where, you know, he's just argued with his uncle about, you know, going off and, and you know, going off with his friends and you know, be, not being stuck being a moisture farmer, being stuck, you know, tilling the, the desert planet of Tatooine for the rest of his life. So after he kind of has the argument where his uncle wants him to stay, you know, 
one more season he just runs out and he just looks off into the sunset and you see those two setting suns and that music plays that iconic music and it's just and i kind of i think that kind of speaks to like most people they don't they don't want to be not necessarily trapped but they they, they want to go out and find their place in the universe mm, makes sense types of, and that's the way luke feels but even though when he's 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 presented with that with obi-wan telling him about his father and you know obi-wan asking him to come to alderaan and stuff like that he kind of sort of doesn't want to do that it's you know you know he has his call to it but he ha- he has to refuse the call because he has his his uh his uh, responsibilities to his family until ultimately you know he doesn't have a choice and then when the stormtroopers come spoiler alert they murder uh, aunt Baru and uncle owen so he doesn't really have a choice so he decides to follow in kind of sort of his father's footsteps not hopefully not in his father's footsteps but we'll get into that but following what he thinks is his father's footsteps yeah now do you think that with him being there kind of under the protection of his aunt and uncle after you know the past that he doesn't really any know anything about you know his really his father's story yeah um, and having Obi-Wan Kenobi so close by that they were at some point preparing him to um, to learn that he has this ability to wield the force and that he might be destined for greater things, although there you know there's a chance that it could be a negative there could be a negative turn to that. but that's kind of sort of why Uncle Owen has doesn't really like Obi-Wan when you when you listen when you watch the movie. Uncle Owen kind of has disdain. He kind of he calls Ben Kenobi. You know, he's just a crazy old wizard, and just you know, mm-hmm. don't go looking for Obi Wan Kenobi. You're not gonna do that stuff. But behind the scenes, Obi Wan has kind of been like a, a protector because Obi Wan lives on Tatooine, of course. I don't know why I'm saying that; it's obvious. But he's he's always been present in Luke's life, even without Luke knowing that. And sometimes when it's come to uncle owen's attention he's kind of had to lay the hammer down saying don't you come near my nephew i don't want you doing to him what happened to his father and this that and the other thing and that kind of asks the question how does he know about you know anakin skywalker what if he knew what happened to anakin skywalker further i don't know if he knew because in episode two when we'll get into that thing he he does something very dramatic and kind of kind of shocking so i don't know if he knows what happens beforehand or 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 uh after but he doesn't want his nephew becoming a jedi because he kind of sort of through secondhand knowledge or whatever knows what the jedi are capable of or at least what he thinks they're capable of okay so he he might have a little bit of a skewed view on the jedi based on what happened to Anakin and other things he might have seen. Yeah. Okay. That's understandable. Um, let's talk about his, uh, Luke's relationship with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Would you like to elaborate? Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, other than the stuff that I just said before... Um, well, I mean, you know, just... You know, for him as a teacher, and like, how how does Luke feel about him? How does he, he doesn't he really up to him? he doesn't really think of him as a teacher. Like before that hand, he he just knows as you know, 
uh, Ben Kenobi as just this old guy who he's like a hermit. He lives out beyond the Dune Sea. He doesn't realize that he's he's he was part of this ancient order called the Jedi, and you know is kind of sort of a badass. You know he kind of sees it in the Mos Eisley Cantina when he chops off the the dude's arm and with a lightsaber, and he's like, okay, I guess this is this is kind of the real deal. But then he. You know, he didn't really, he just knew him as some, some old guy, but then he realizes that, oh, yeah, you knew my dad and before all this stuff happened. And so it kind of, it kind of sort of becomes like a paternal relationship, but more like a, a teacher mentor type thing. Now, even though Obi-Wan dies at the end of this movie. Um, oh, no. Well, you already said it. It wasn't. It wasn't a spoiler. Although, yeah. You know, but um, <laughs> if you've never seen the movie, this whole podcast is a spoiler. Yeah. Um. You know, I think that there's still he's you know very saddened by that and still has there's still mm. something I don't know a, a connection between them and some kind of relationship, which is exhibited in some you know at least the next movie. It's a very paternal relationship, one that he didn't really necessarily have with his uncle. His uncle kind of you know seemed like this guy who you know, I'm just going to keep you down and this that and the other thing and but, but with Obi-Wan he just introduced him to this new world and stuff. So you can kind of sort of see why he's sad about his passing. But even though he's kind of sad, I don't know why Leia is comforting him about that stuff. Leia should have been, oh, you're sad that one person that you knew died. You know, I had millions of people on that planet that just blew up. Why are you so sad? <laughs> that's a good Why don't you get a grip, pal? <laughs> but that's that's not Leia. That's a badass woman that, that Leia she, is. She knows when to be comforting. She knows when to kick ass. Yes, absolutely. Um so I guess let's, I know we already touched on Darth Vader, but what other information can you give us about Darth Vader and also, you know, the actors who played Darth Vader? Because there's more than one. Yeah. Uh, basically, the, the guy in the suit is David Prowse, uh, who recently passed away, unfortunately. But David Prowse was a huge, a huge tall guy. He was a weightlifter before this stuff. Uh the two characters in the movie, the two tallest characters in the movie, Peter Mayhew, who played Chewbacca, and uh, David Prowse, who played Darth Vader, they basically had their picks of the roles. Uh, I think when Lucas presented them with the fact, Prowse said, you know what, I think I want to play a bad guy. And Mayhew was just like, well, I'll play the good guy. He was just like, okay, well, Pete, you're Chewbacca, and Dave, you're, you're Darth Vader. But uh, the controversy with that is <laughs> when David was playing Darth Vader, you, an imposing figure as he is, when he was in that mask and you would hear him talk, there's video of him, his audio, you hear the, you hear him talk. It's, it's a Scottish guy, like a high tinny voice, and just like, well, there's nothing really scary about this guy at all. So George Lucas kind of sort of lied to him, and he he said, "Well, we'll re-record your lines, and you know it'll sound better." But basically, they just they undercut him and and gave him uh, his iconic voice, brought to you by the great James Earl Jones. Yes, it became, you know, it's it, it, up until that point, he was kind of sort of a character actor. Uh, you you see him in movies like The Great White Hype or. Uh, Dr. Strangelove or How I Wear, uh, Learn to Stop Worrying and Love the Bond. He's kind of a character actor. It wasn't really until that movie and that voice, that, that imposing voice, that he kind of sort of came into his own. Yeah, I mean, he's 
He's very well known for his voice acting oh, yeah. at this, this point, and I guess it was this movie that really started him mm-hmm. on that. And his voice is just, again, another, not just as Darth Vader, but just in general. Not only is James Earl Jones iconic as a person, but his voice alone yeah. it, it has this, it's just something special about the it. The man's the voice of CNN, for God's sake. You, know, <laughs> you watch CNN, and yeah. this is CNN. That's James Earl Jones. <laughs> yes. And of course, yeah, he's Mofasa and King Joffrey drove for, for all of our uh, our uh, uh, Coming to America fans out there. Yes, he's he's excellent. Okay. <laughs> um, and so... What else about Darth Vader have we not discussed? You know, we, I mean, we've mentioned a little bit about, we've, we learned so much more about him, you know, in the upcoming movies, but is there anything about him as a presence that we haven't discussed, you think? Basically his imposing figure and the, the, the design of his, his outfit, um, before Star Wars started filming, actually the artwork, uh, beforehand was kind of sort of created by the great Ralph McQuarrie, a great artist. And there's an iconic shot where uh, it kind of sort of looks like Luke deflecting a lightsaber strike from Darth Vader. And you kind of sort of had the precursor to what Darth Vader would look like. And he looks scary as hell. And you can attribute that to two things that I said at the beginning of the podcast, Uh, his mask, especially his mask, and his helmet are kind of sort of based on like old samurai type things. But also the shape of his, the rounded shape of his helmet is like the the uh, soldiers in Nazi Germany mm. type stuff like that. So you have a big imposing figure like that that has samurai and Nazi imagery like that. Even though George Lucas would probably say it's not overly Nazi type stuff. But even when you watch the end of the movie... Uh, the throne room sequence, you can draw a lot of parallels between that and Lenny Riefenstahl's Triumph of the Will, which was basically like this Nazi propaganda type thing mm. with a huge sprawling at the at the Nuremberg rallies and stuff like that. So you can see a lot of He used a lot of references parallels from, to that stuff. From Nazi Germany, clearly. Yeah. yeah. And World World War Two in particular, War II, yeah. when he was he was filming, he would film the dogfight sequences uh, later on in the movie after uh, the characters escape from the Death Star and they're being chased by Tie Fighters. Before he actually filmed that, and ILM did that stuff. George Lucas intercut actual dogfighting film footage from World War Two to kind of point industrial light and magic, you know what he wants to see. In in the movie, so much so that you know his friends were watching and they just go, "This is going to be the worst movie ever." But were they wrong? <laughs> Definitely were they wrong. Another influence, another World War Two influence on the movie was a, a movie called The Dam Busters, and what influenced most of that is the the attack on the Death Star. There's a point towards the end of the movie where these these fighter pl- pilots are attacking a, a heavy water pl- plant. Uh, I think it's either sweet somewhere in Scandinavia, Sweden, Norway, something like that. But uh, they have these these bouncing bombs to attack the the plant, so they they they're launching these bombs to blow up this plant. But uh, yeah, the ending of that movie, the Dam Busters, and the 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 trench run or the final run on the Death Star. There's a lot of imagery in that too. World War Two imagery type hmm. stuff. 
Very interesting. I did not know that he used so much from World War II and yeah. uh, Nazi Germany to influence the making of this movie. I would not have ever necessarily... He would probably say that it's not okay. really over and it wasn't really his... You know, it wasn't intended to be over, but you can definitely see it there. I see. Yeah. Um, and not sorry to go back, but I, I was thinking of one thing we did not discuss in A Crime to Darth Vader, and that would be his breathing. Oh, yeah. Um, do, you, do you know if James Earl Jones did that that sound? No. Uh, uh, the great Ben Burt, the sound designer for Star Wars, who I mentioned did the... the, the 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 quote unquote voice for Chewbacca, uh, he actually recorded uh, a sc- scuba diving regulator <laughs> as the, as the breathing for for Darth Vader. There was a lot of innovative stuff, you know, that Ben Burt has been known for, especially in that movie. The sound of the blasters in the movie were basically a large TV antenna, the wires that hold up a TV antenna. You take a hammer. You smack the wire, and they would make that blaster sound and go pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. I would where does someone get the idea to, to do something like that to make that noise? Yeah. You'd go on to do a lot of stuff. He he, he uh, came up with the voice for E.T. in E.T., oh, the really? extraterrestrial. And uh, in uh, Pixar's WALL-E, he, he does the voice for WALL-E and Eve. So oh. he's really well-known in, in the... Uh, in the uh, sound production style, and especially the sound of the lightsaber, that iconic sound of the lightsaber is actually two things. I immediately hear it in my in my in my ears, even though we're not listening to it. That that sound of the lightsabers. I believe we actually have some lightsabers around here somewhere. Yeah, we do. Basically, it's it's a combination of two sounds. It's a it's a film projector idling combined with the feedback from a broken television. So wow. when you swing that around, he would he'd have a he'd have a microphone that he would he he basically discovered by accident. He walked past the broken television set and it made this sound. He's like, "What is that?" So he came up closer with the microphone and then he would start swinging the, the microphone. That's where that's where you get the sound for from mm-hmm. from. So he combined those two. So he's really really innovative in the in the in the sound production of that movie and movies afterward. Yeah, he did a great job. Those are, those are other things that are very iconic, even too. You think about Star Wars. Yeah, this was the movie that actually intru- uh, introduced us to industrial light and magic. So pr- prior to this, you didn't have movies didn't have you know the special effects that they did. What George Lucas had to do was create his own company with these people to see it you know, to see their vision through. And after Star Wars, you just see an explosion of movies uh, with I- ILM, you know, stuff like Empire Strikes Back that follows Indiana Jones, E.T., uh, Back to the Future, everything, Jurassic Park. Without without Star, Star Wars and Industrial Light and Magic, you wouldn't have the movies that we have today. Some of my, definitely some of my favorite movies, the majority of my favorite movies. Let's go Ghostbusters too, also. Not Ghostbusters 2, but Ghostbusters also. Maybe gotcha. Ghostbusters 2. But that's neither here nor there. No, that does get tricky <laughs> when you talk about sequels or things that might have there were two. Also, two, also. Yeah. Yes. T-O-O, not T-W-O. <laughs> so, well, I think that's a, that, you know, that's a lot of Star Wars. That's a lot of Star Wars to digest, huh? Yeah, it is. I hope that our listeners have maybe a better understanding of 
of a new hope and uh, can enjoy it maybe a little more or enjoy at least hearing us talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely a lot of background information there, a lot of technical stuff and, you know, fun. Hopefully there were fun facts on that, on that account. Yes. So do you have, if you don't have anything else to say, would you like to close us out for this episode? Yes, I would. Uh, Well, kids, the little hand says it's time to rock and roll. So, uh, well, it's that time. It's all the time we have for the Boyfriend's Guide to Pop Culture. If you liked what you heard, give us a five-star rating and hit subscribe. You can find us at anchor.fm slash popcultureguide or email us at popcultureguide at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook at the Boyfriend's Guide to Pop Culture. Uh, Find those likes and subscribe buttons and hit those and give us, you know, give us some feedback too on our pages. Yes, yes. And please also check out our joint podcast, The Girlfriend's Guide to True Crime, where I take Nick on uh, some interesting adventures through the world of true crime. You see, I always forget that part, and I'm Uh, sorry. That's okay. I'm so self-absorbed and all that stuff. Eh, Yeah, your stuff's more fun. Mine stuff's more... eh. Your stuff's more informative. It's, you know, it's not to say that it's not fun, but... Eh. It is fun, but not. Eh, it's also a little icky. But <laughs> <laughs> alrighty, well, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, catch us later. I'm the boyfriend Nick, and I'm the girlfriend Meg. And as always, we say, stay fit, keep sharp, make good decisions. <laughs>